Big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. All right, let's get right to our next guest, JT. Always a pleasure to have him with us. He covers the NBA for ESPN on all of their platforms, former Cavalier beat reporter as well. Brian Windhorst joining the Kenny and JT show today. Brian, thanks for making time for us. Happy New Year. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Kenny. Hey, always a pleasure. We appreciate you. I know you're a busy guy just getting back from Europe and everything like that. You're writing, reporting, and doing all that. So we'll get right to the questions we have for you, obviously, about the Cavaliers. Brian, last night uh, they won their 30th game. They're 30-20 and 20 this year, just like they were 30-20 and 20 last year, but the big trade bringing Mitchell to Cleveland for Lowry Markkinen and company. So are they a better team this year with the same record, or were they a better team last year? No, they were much, they're a much better team this year. I mean, if you remember down the stretch of last season, especially after Darius Garland got banged up, they faded dramatically. They are um, much better position this year. That said, remember, they started 8-1, and one, okay? And so you said they're 10 games over 500. That means they're three games over 500 in their last, like, you know, 35, 38 games, whatever the math is. And, you know, I think that, you know, part of that is due to they've had some injuries, but part of it is due to the fact that while their defense has remained elite, and I know that you can find individual games or individual quarters where that hasn't been the case, uh, but their defense remains uh, one of the best two or three in the league in, in almost all the categories. Um, their offense has not been uh, reliable. And so often their offense has basically just been – you know, let Donovan create something amazing or let Darius Garland create something amazing and and just try to fill in the gaps. And so, you know, they are not a finished product. Um, if they make the playoffs this year and they get any in the top six seeds, which I think they will, it's a tremendously accomplish, accomplishment. They haven't made the playoffs without LeBron 25 years. Um, to me, that is the bar they need to clear, and if they do, they will have had a successful year. Um, but they are not a perfect team. They are a, a team that is limited offensively, and they have three transaction windows to become, um, you know, I think they need some more perimeter defense, but to, to get more dynamic offensively. This transaction window coming up with the trade deadline, which I'm not enthusiastic about a major change, but then they have next summer with free agency and trades, and then they have next trade deadline, uh, 2024, where they need to be, you know, closer to sniffing at the contender status next year. That, to me, is their timeline. Brian, thanks again for joining us. JT here. And and now that we see, and we talk about the trade deadline, and hopefully they don't make a move just to make a move, we see the success of Lowry Markkinen right now. And we look at this team and say, okay, if they wanted to trade somebody, obviously it makes sense if you want to move an expiring contract, and we get all that with Karis LeVert. But I want to ask you about Isaac Okoro. How long could they hold on to Isaac Okoro and make sure that they don't trade him and maybe he goes elsewhere and has greater success like Lowry Markkinen? We don't have to trade him, but I think it's difficult right now to to have him out there at the end of games because the other teams don't respect his, his shooting. Now, you can look at his last 10 games and you can show that he has gotten better from three-point range. And if that lasts, if that's a material in, improvement, 
um, then you really have something there. But, you know, just in this, you know, they had a very revealing game in New York. I can't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had a very revealing game there because down the stretch of the game, the Knicks just packed the paint. And they totally mm-hmm. ignored Isaac Okoro. And they don't have to start, go outside the paint too far to deal with Mobley and Allen. And, you know, they have their backup center in there, but he is seven foot tall, Isaiah Hartenstein. And he just stood there and put his hands up because he wasn't worried about being stretched out of the – giving up a, an outside shot. And, you know, Donovan Mitchell kept running into him, and the Cavs and Donovan were all upset about not getting calls. But, quite frankly, you're not going to get that call if you're six foot, um, you know, three and you're running into a seven-footer who's got position. You're just not going to get it, especially not in a playoff setting, which is kind of what that was reminiscent of. And so, um, you know, they had Isaac Okora out there because he's really good defensively, and their defense was why they got back in the game. But, you know, the Knicks were – I mean, I think that maybe like the third or fourth to last possession, he gets a wide-open three from the – from the side, he was wide open for a reason. You know, and Lamar Stevens is saying, Lamar Stevens is a good defensive player, but he cannot shoot the outside shot. Teams don't respect it. Um, you know, Jetty Osmond can, but J.B. Bickerstaff obviously doesn't always trust him. So that's a hole in the, in the team. And, you know, we can talk about that. That's definitely a hole. But there's, they, got a, they got a lot going for them, too. There's a lot that's going in their direction and that favors them over the long haul. Brian Winhorst, our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at Winhorst ESPN, and of course, watch him, listen to him on all the ESPN platforms. Brian, which of these do uh, these do you see as the biggest weakness of the Cavaliers? Is it lack of physicality, uh, a starting wing player, bench production, or the head coach? Of those four, if you had to pick one that stands out, which one is it? Without question, it's a it's a power three and D wing. Um, now, the bench obviously could be better, and Kevin Love is mired in a nasty slump right now, and he's got a back injury, and he's got a thumb injury, and he's up there in age, he's got a bunch of gray hair, uh, barely can jump anymore. All of these things are factors, but, you know, he's pretty important to them. You know, last year, I think he finished second or third in sixth man of the year. You know, that was a guy they were really counting on. And, you know, Rubio is just now coming back. Um, you don't want to judge him now. You judge him in a you know month or two. But, um, you know, their, their bench is, is, is an issue. But when you look at the, what's needed to, <clears throat> to win at the highest level in the NBA, you have got to have spacing, especially when your guards, when your scorers don't have great size. You know, if you've got Jason Tatum, you've got Kawhi Leonard, and your lead score is 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", I think Tatum is, and they can create their own shot in the perimeter. Um, and they're, you know, they're so effective from there. LeBron, you don't necessarily need to worry about all those driving lanes. But that's, you know, Garland is a, Garland can shoot from the outside. But basically when they need it, Mitchell and Garland want to go to the basket. So they need space. And to have space, you've got to have um, guys the other team respects. And the Cavs just don't have enough right now. Dean Wade can help them in that regard. I mean, last night, the most important thing, about last night's game, in my opinion, was Dean Wade goes 4-7 from three-point range. He doesn't have to go 4-7 every night, but he's got to be a threat. And if he's a threat, he'll start to stretch the floor. Plus, he's got good size. Brian Huynhorst, star guest here talking Cavs basketball, NBA basketball. I mentioned uh, head coach as a possible weakness uh, in that foursome there. Give me your thoughts on J.B. Bickerstaff, and how is he viewed throughout the league, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, again, there's some times that you can look at schematically what he's done. Obviously, that moment a couple weeks ago, whenever it was, when they couldn't get the ball inbounds after a time when they had a timeout and all yep. that stuff. 
doesn't reflect well. He's been a little bit, um, you know, some of the rotations he's stuck to, you know, for his reasons. You can find issues, but it, J.B. Bickerstaff's team is in his in his focus on playing big, and the the amount of trust and uh, um, the way he's built the defense around Jared Allen. Uh, and and you know the, the the way they design the team is his brainchild, and that is the impetus for what turned the entire uh, franchise around. So I think you can again. I, I I do not think that he is going to be mistaken for Phil Jackson for in-game adjustments, but I do think he's done a lot for this team, and you know he'll be judged uh, how they ultimately you know they they petered out down the stretch last year. We'll see how they finish this year. And again, I think next year is the big year. The performance next year is everything. And the reason I'm saying that is because Donovan Mitchell is extension eligible in the summer of 2024. That is not something anybody's talking about right now. That is not something anybody's worrying about. But the summer of 2024 is when you will take stock of this uh, iteration of the team. And that will be time, I'm sure, for JB to have you taken stock as well. Brian, with such a ball-dominant backcourt, what are your thoughts right now on the development of Evan Mobley? I think he's doing great. Um, I, I look at him, uh, what he does defensively every night. Like, every night he does 10 things defensively where I'm just like, wow. Um, and he can do so many different things. Um, you know, his offense is um, not coming around as fast. I mean, part of it is he is not physically strong by uh, – big man NBA standards. And so he has sometimes trouble getting position. The other thing is he's not a good free throw shooter. So he doesn't always look to get fouls. And as a result, he sometimes can play on the interior where he should be uh, a difference maker. He plays with finesse. And when you like to see power, uh, and I think that, you know, that'll be developed. The other thing is when you elect to build your team around ball dominant guards, you are openly saying that you're not going to feed Evan Mobley. So, Again, they made that decision when they when they traded for Donovan Mitchell that they were not going to come into this season with a game plan to to run 15 plays a game to get Evan Mobley to his sweet spot and stuff like that. Um, I do think that you know down the line he can um, develop into more of a weapon um, at the end of game situations. You can find some plays for him, but his progress has been really really good, and I'm a big believer in him and I remain a big believer in him. I I do of course like anybody would like to see him average 20 points a game, you know, and I do think that could possibly be in his future and you know he hasn't leapt forward, but again, you're looking at a Cavs team that has a, a an all-star starter now at backcourt and they have another starter back there or another all-star back there in Garland. I don't think he's going to make it this year, but he's still an all-star and it's you know, it, it's asking a lot to to have those two guys prioritize developing Mobley's offense. Brian, as far as Donovan Mitchell goes, when they made the trade for him, Lowry Markinen, uh, Colin Sexton, Ochi Abaji, three first-round picks, swap pick, all the different things they gave up for him. I said the Cavaliers were getting an all-star. I don't know if they were getting a superstar. Well, he goes out, drops 71. He's an all-star starter. So is... Donovan Mitchell, a superstar in this league, or is he just an all-star? I don't think that Donovan Mitchell is in the class of guys who can carry a team to a championship. 
Um, but again, when you when you classify it that narrowly, you're talking about you know a, a small handful. Um, but I do think that the Cavs' ultimate uh, horizon will be determined be determined by Mobley. You know the the Mitchell trade was a trade that's the, that was a, a vote of confidence and a vote of belief in Mobley's future. And so where their uh, where their their big step will come forward where they're going to the next level will be a combination of Mobley going to the next level, which quite frankly usually happens in, in the third year, sometimes the fourth, and he's so young. But next year you're going to expect to see that. The third year is the big year for just about everybody. Uh, okay, maybe not LeBron, but, you know, <laughs> for stars you see it happen in the third year. And then their ability to uh, supplement with a couple of key role players. Those are the two things that need to be done. But, but the, the, the hard part, the big part, is Mobley. So to me, their horizon, their timeline is Evan Mobley's timeline. Brian, were you surprised by the deal when they brought Donovan Mitchell in? And obviously the question on everyone's mind, and Kenny gave us the numbers. He gave us the record. Did they give up too much? Um, here's the thing, guys. Um, <clears throat> the Cavs have had how many top five picks in the last 20 years? Um, a lot, a lot, you know, you know, but there's only one of them who's, you know, been a championship level player. Kyrie, you can debate about that, but I think it's been proven that Kyrie by himself isn't that player. Right. Um, they believe that Donovan is that type of player. And so, um, and you're never going to get free agents in Cleveland unless it's LeBron. So what they were doing there is, um, they were saying, you know, we have a better chance of getting a, a guy who's 26 years old under long-term contract um, and, you know, top 10, top 15 talent. We don't think we're going to do that in the draft anyway. So this is our chance to get it. Um, you're asking if I was surprised. I was surprised that they outbid New York mm. because New York was in the, the pole position because, frankly – the New York Knicks draft picks are more valuable than Cleveland Cavaliers draft picks. When you look at the fact that they had Allen and Mobley and, and, uh, and Garland all under long-term control, who do you, who, who do you believe will be, will have, you know, a better team for the next five, six years, Cleveland. But I felt like if New York was willing to, to make the same offer that New York would have won. So I wasn't surprised the Cavs went after him. I were, I was surprised that they outbid the Knicks. When you look at this team, Brian Windhorst, and we touched on it a little bit earlier in the conversation, play-in tournament last year after uh, failing down the stretch, injuries, okay, yes, a factor. Well, uh, they're getting healthy now, right? And it's uh, past the second, uh, well, halfway point, we're into the second half of the season. Is this a playoff team or just a play-in team again in the Eastern Conference, meaning you got to get into the top six to be a playoff team? Yeah, I felt all along they're a top six team. But by the way, when they were second, when they were in second place, I still thought if they can get top six, they're done well. If they, if they were in second place and you told me they were going to finish sixth, I would have said they did well. The depth and strength of the Eastern Conference is undeniable. And what, you, what's, <clears throat> what it takes to get in that top six is going to be, you know, pretty sustained, pretty good play. You, you're, you, you may need, you know, approaching 50 wins to get into that top six. Probably not quite there, but you may need somewhere in that neighborhood. And this, that's as strong as the East has been in the, in the last generation. So 
Um, they need to make that top six. That will have been a step forward season for them and um, definitely puts them on the path to where they want to go. And if they draw the right team in the first round, they might have a shot. You know, I, I, I said they haven't made the playoffs without LeBron since 98. That's 25 years. They haven't won a playoff series without him, I believe, since 93. We're talking about something that, that, you know, they've got a shot at doing that hasn't happened in Cleveland in 30 years. I don't think that should be taken for granted. Sounds like you're talking about the Browns when we hear numbers like that. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit more about LeBron James. Obviously, the big story. Kareem breaks a scoring record back in 84. LeBron probably going to do it maybe next week. What plans have you heard does the NBA have to celebrate this historic occasion? Well, I don't necessarily know when it's going to happen. Um, you know, it, 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 it depend, depending on how prolific he is, they're starting a five-game road trip tomorrow in Boston. There's a possibility he could break it in New York, which I think is where Steph broke the Ray Allen record. Um, you know, there's, there's not an incredible amount of excitement. Maybe when we get within a game or two of it, I, I'm not sensing that though. I'm not sensing the excitement and I, and I don't sense the excitement in LA. Um, wow. and that goes to sort of the complicated relationship LeBron has with the Laker fans. Um, to me, this is not a scoring record. Um, it's a longevity record. It's a, it's an offshoot of being um, – I mean, I, it, what I have said in the past is that nobody in NBA history has been this great for this long. LeBron's claim to, you know, his, the, the, you know where he's at in the history of the NBA is his longevity, is that, is that nobody was able to do this like he was, and not just, not just show up every year but excel every year go to the finals eight straight years in the modern era, go nine out of 10 and uh, whatever it was, 10 out of 12 or 10 out of 13 or whatever it was, win finals MVPs with three different teams, which has never happened before. You know, average 20 points as an 18, 19-year-old, average 20 points as a 37, 38-year-old. That is the LeBron James resume. And this record that he's about to set is an ode not to the fact that he's really good at putting the ball in the basket, although, of course, he is. He's not the best scorer in league history. He's probably not. You know, in terms of actual pure scoring abilities, he might not even be top five. Um, but nobody's been able to be this good and, 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 and be able to pick himself up year after year. I mean, we all watched uh, in the last dance Jordan laying on that couch in that suite back in 98, talking about how he was just mentally fried and he couldn't do it any longer. Well, LeBron got kicked in the teeth over and over and over again, had his teammates let him down, you know, ripped his life and, and put his career on the line to change teams, had immense stress, had immense scrutiny. And what did he do? He came back the next season, even if it was on a different team or even if it was five new teammates, and he went to the finals again. And he never got tired, and he never stopped kicking when he was down 3-0 in a series or down 3-1 in a series when he was playing a better team. That has to be worth something. A lot of people don't feel that way. A lot of people look at his finals record, and they use it against him, and they go, mm -hmm. four and six, six losses. Jordan never lost. This guy lost six times. I'm like, yeah, he lost six times and pulled himself up out of the losses and came back 
and 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 was able to you know was able to win. He's you know right now his last finals he we won it. So um, that's what this record is about, and I'm I'm sure it will not be uh, received and portrayed that way. Um, I'm not even sure he's going to get the reception that he probably should because his career has now been so scattered and he won't be in Cleveland for a long time. Hmm. Um, but uh, that's what this record really should be uh, seen as. Brian Windhorst, our guest from ESPN. Brian, I want to get back to the Cavs real quick. Uh, the trade deadline is February 9th. You mentioned that as one of the dates to keep an eye on. Is it more realistic to think that Kobe Altman will – get help for the second unit as opposed to the first unit and that 3 and D wing or just a, a wing player that can score like Bojan Bogdanovic because they don't have any trade chips to, to get somebody of that caliber from Detroit? Is it more like an Alec Burks from Detroit and players of that ilk? I think the you know, if the Cavs don't have much to offer, what they have to offer is their checkbook. So the, the value that the Cavs might be able to add to a trade is the willingness to take on money beyond this season. Because the Cavs have firing contracts, specifically uh, Karis LeVert, also Kevin Love, although I'll, I'm going to tell you I haven't heard any rumblings at all about Love availability. I think they um, are dedicated to keeping him, even though he's not playing well at all right now. Um, but they have expiring contracts. So the willingness to take on a player that has money or players that have money beyond this year, that is their advantage. Now, they are up near the, the, the tax. And I think for the right player, they would probably go into the tax. But I got to tell you, I think they're $3.3 million from the tax. Um, I'm not sure that I see the player necessarily that's gettable for them that I think is worth going into the tax. But with Levert and, you know, if they had to throw in Dylan Windler or, you know, Brooke Lopez to pad out the um, – I'm sorry, not Brooke, Robin. If they had Brooke, don't trade him. Yeah. Uh, Robin Lopez – you know, they could, you know, get the, the number up a little bit higher. But I think that's their focus is, is being maybe being able to trade a player uh, from a team that's maybe looking to get off of salary. And the reason the Cavs would do that, number one, they, you know, Levert is a quality player, but he doesn't exactly fit what they need. Um, it would be better if they had a better floor spacing uh, true three, um, even if he wasn't a great defender, just a guy that the teams had to respect from three. Um, the, uh, uh, and so that's one thing, but also I think you want to roll over the Levert salary slot. I, I don't like referring to players as like, you know, pieces on a chessboard, but that's reality. And the Cavs really, I, I don't know. I, I don't think they want to re-sign Levert, not because they don't think he's a good player, but it's a big number to commit to a guy who doesn't fit perfectly with the other guys they have, especially with Rubio coming back now. So, what you want to do, even if you can't get the perfect fit, I mean, ideally, they would plug in a six foot eight guy who shot 42% on threes. Okay, but if they can't get that player, they get a player who's still valued and has and makes a salary so that they still have that player possibly to trade when things get interesting again in the summer or next season. So, um, sort of rolling over the salary slot is how executives talk about it when you when you look at it so i think the Cavs are going to be motivated to do that and because they're going to be able to take on the money uh into the future i think there's a decent chance that they might be able to find something that, that fits that bill 
Brian, uh, we appreciate the time. Great insight, as always. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Kenny and JT Show. We'll see how things play out before the trading deadline and uh, later on, hopefully, when the Cavaliers are in the playoffs. Enjoy your weekend.